welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert, and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you bust through your fears, connect to your soul, and get focused and clear so you can elevate your life, business, and relationships. We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome back to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by my Bliss Habit e-course. That is at theblisshabit.com. And you guys, this is my 12-week e-course that is truly my foundational course that teaches everything that I have ever done and learned throughout the years in business and from all of my mentors and my years and years and hours and hours of coaching. That is the foundational place. If you want to bust through your fears and really start working through those stories and old past thoughts that are holding you back to learn how to really get present, establish a true gratitude practice, really learn how to schedule your life, create an abundance mindset, and tap into a community that is here to cheer you on, support you, answer your questions. And it truly is a place where you can show up and even have a leadership role in, in this group. So you guys, if you're ready to truly bust through your blocks. Go to theblisshabit.com. And today's guest is so incredibly inspiring. Her name is Jasmine Starr, and she dropped out of law school. She picked up a camera and pursued her dreams, later being named one of the top photographers in the world. I love her story, you guys. She built a worldwide brand from scratch and leveraged social media marketing to build a six figure business in her first year. So Jasmine amassed hundreds of thousands of followers through her online educational efforts, and she empowers entrepreneurs to build a brand and she markets it all over social media. And I actually found her just through searching social media. And I loved everything that she was doing. I loved her pictures. I loved what she stood for. I loved her messages. So I stalked her, hunted her down. I had to have her on the podcast because I love what she's doing. I love who she's helping. And her message is so clear and helpful that if you guys have any questions around branding or marketing, you are going to love this podcast. We talk about what really works when it comes to engagement with your people. We talk about brand strategy. We talk about um, why it's important as a female entrepreneur to really be authentic and to put yourself out there. We talk about using Instagram for business. We talk about turning likes into dollars and, you know, we just end up talking about life. It's just such a beautiful conversation that even if you're not an entrepreneur, you're going to take something away from her journey of growth. So you guys, let's get started. Jasmine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. 
I am so excited to be here. Thank you, Lori. Okay, I'm thrilled to have you because I absolutely love your stuff. So this is partially selfish because I feel like I get to have all of my questions answered while we get to answer other people's questions. So. And this is really selfish because I just get to hang out with you. So let's rock talk on. <laughs> Okay. So I would love for people who maybe don't know of you, if you could share some of your story, how you got started doing what you're doing. Well, we can take this as long as short as you want. So I'll kind of just create a basis. I describe myself as a photographer and a business strategist. So what this basically means is I help entrepreneurs build a brand, market it on social media to help run a profitable business. But getting to this point, I should probably back up a little tiny bit because I was at UCLA Law School and I had worked really hard to get them. I'm a first generation Hispanic, first generation college student, first generation anything yeah. in my family. And so, you know, getting there, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Okay. And then I realized that when I got there, it was not what I wanted. It wasn't what I was expecting. And I was really sad, but then I looked around and law school isn't exactly like a booze cruise. You know, nobody's <laughs> like, I'm so excited to be here. Yay. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, so I just kind of thought it was part of the course. And then, um, late in my first year, my mom, unfortunately had a relapse of brain cancer and just coupled with the fact that I was so unhappy at school, I just didn't really have a direction. I walked out of school one day. I didn't consult anybody. I just walked into the Dean's office and I was like, you know, I have to go and I have to be with my mom. And they were so gracious. They said, you have three years to come back and get your scholarship. So we'll see you. And I said, yes, you will see me back in the fall. And um, the scholarship entitled me to live on campus. So that's how my campus housing was paid for. But if I was no longer a student, I was no longer eligible for campus housing. So oh, wow. I called my boyfriend at the time and I was just like, hey, I left law school. And he's like, great. Do you want to get dinner? And I was like, oh, no, like I, I left. And so uh, we packed up my apartment in just like one day. And he dropped me off at the place that I knew always would have an open door. And that was my parents' house. And I climbed the stairs to my parents' room. And my mom was sleeping in bed. And I crawled in with her. And I pressed my nose to the back of her neck. And I'll never forget the smell. It was eucalyptus and Pond's facial cream. Mm. And I took a big inhale and I thought to myself, oh my God, you just made the best decision of your life. Ugh. And then later that night, I walked downstairs and I climbed into my own bed. And the next morning with the sun creeping in through the windows, I open my eyes and I see an in-sync poster on the wall <laughs> and my cheer uniform in the closet. And I thought to myself, you just made the worst decision <laughs> of your life. Um, but it was during that time where it was just like, it was a reconciling. I wanted to be with my parents. I wanted to be with my family. We wanted to rally around, you know, she, it was an eight year battle for her. And the one thing I knew was that I wanted to marry my high school sweetheart. We'd been together the whole time. Like by this time it was like eight and a half years. And I was like, I want my mom at the wedding. And so we planned a wedding in three months. We got married 20 people in Hawaii and the doctors are like, she's not going to make it. She's not going to be able to fly. She's not going to be able to walk you down the aisle. And then against all those odds, she flew with us to Hawaii. She walked me down the aisle. And I think that that was like a big shift in my life where I thought I was 25 years old and she was 50 years old. And I thought to myself, oh my God, if I have 25 years left in my life, I don't want to die a lawyer. Like I don't want to do this. 
And it was during that time that I realized, you fool, you might not even have 25 minutes left in your life. We are not guaranteed any time. And so I thought, if I can do something, you know, what is it going to be? And so I got back from my honeymoon and my husband sat across from me. Poor guy. The wedding ring hasn't even been on his finger long enough for him to get a tan. (laughs) A ring tan, right? And so uh, he's just like, what's going on? Because I'm crying. And in my hand, I hold a letter from UCLA and it's making the declaration to go back. And I said, I'm just so unhappy there. And he said, if you could do one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I said, I want to be a photographer. Mm. And he was like, okay, but you don't own a camera. (laughs) And I was like, but if I did, I would be a really great photographer. And, you know, other people might hear that and say, like, that's funny. That's silly. You know, Mm -hmm. take the safe path. But he didn't. He said, I would rather see you fail at something you love than succeed at something you hate. That I had the full permission just to give it a year. He's like, listen, give it a year. If it doesn't work, go back to law school. And that was what we agreed upon one year to actually start a business. And then two years later, I was um, voted one of the top photographers in the world. And I think that that came as a result, not of being extraordinarily talented, but a mix of, you know, hustle, talent, showing up, failing, and then standing up again. And really what it boiled down to was knowing and having the ability to create a personal brand and then really market that as a division of my business. And it was transformative. And I'm talking so much right now, but Lori, I'm going to be quiet, but I I have to tell you you the best part. The best part is that my mom is still with us here today. It was a total miracle. Like she beat every, all the odds that were stacked against her, every statistic that said she was destined uh, to, to graduate. And she did, she didn't, she's a fighter. And I think I get a lot of that from her. And so I'm just so excited that that, that moment, that thing in life was the thing that caused me to be where I am today. I'm very thankful. Oh no, I love the story. And that's so beautiful. And you know, you said so many great things. Like I really feel like the most successful people that I've met or had the opportunity to interview are those people who really get real with themselves and take a look at their life and get real, you you know, being so grateful for the fact that we have this moment right now. We have this life right now, but the awareness that Absolutely. this might not last. So did you Absolutely. continue to tap into that feeling? Because I know, yes, you, you got to live out your dream of becoming a photographer, but I want to talk about what that actually looks like, because it's almost like the second we decide to do that thing we want to do, we're faced with resistance. Did that happen for you? Uh, did it? Does it? Will it? Yes, yes, yes. I <laughs> like anything that you decide to pursue full throttle in life, there's always going to be pitfalls and lots of failures. And, you know, I think that um, Brene Brown often says it best when she says uh, gold plated grit. Oftentimes I can recount the story and I just recounted the story that took about three to four minutes, but that was a solid seven years of a lot of heartache, a lot of chutzpah, a lot of like just showing up when you don't want to show up. And I think that as a byproduct of pushing through and consistently ending up on the other side, other entrepreneurs, quiet observers, people who are looking and watching very and paying close attention to what you're doing, they develop an allegiance, an allegiance not for perfection, but an allegiance for just sheer will to succeed. And I think that I built a tribe in the photographic community, and then I later parlayed that into teaching entrepreneurs period. Not, you know, because photographers are entrepreneurs and so are jewelry makers and fitness professionals and fashion bloggers. We all maintain an entrepreneurial spirit. So now I'm speaking to an audience more of like, what is the core of you? Like, are you willing to show up and be and give yourself the permission to be successful? 
I love that. There's, there's so much that goes into, you know, we have this creative part of us that just is fun and we want to express it. But even that showing up for that every single day, you don't always feel creative. So what are some things that you do? And we'll get more into the, you know, to the business side of really getting it out there. But what are some things that you do to make creativity a habit? That's so, that's so great. And I'm totally going to rip off one of my favorite authors, Stephen Pressfield. He writes yes. this. Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry. Oh, no. So we share a mutual crush. <laughs> yes. Obsessed. Okay. okay. So then in his book, The um, the War of Art, he, he likens inspiration to a forlorn lover, somebody who visits whenever he or she pleases. It'll be months or and we just wait. We, show, we sit at our desk and we wait for inspiration to appear and appear. And inspiration appears only when he or she wants. And I think that it is so, so, so apropos. But I think that the underlying message is, are you sitting at the desk waiting for inspiration to appear? And I think that inspiration has only ever come to me when I was actually working through something, when I was working and not happy, when I was working and couldn't find the solution, when I was working and it didn't make sense. It was only then. So often we are paralyzed by fear, waiting for inspiration, but inspiration doesn't hit like lightning. Inspiration is like a small drop. And all of a sudden you realize the bucket is filling and that's when you can shift. That is so, I mean, that couldn't be more true. And I'm, I'm writing a book right now and it's just like, it's, it's this, it's running parallel to everything because finding the inspiration to sit and write a book every day is finding the inspiration to sit and post on Facebook and Instagram and make that next video and create, it's all coming from the same place. It's just like, let your back hit the chair and just start. So are there, what does it look like when you're beginning? Like, do you ever just, you're like, this is crap. And does it end up turning into something good? Or what do your average days look like? What does it feel like to work in your passion? Um, you know, one of my favorite authors, Anne Lamont, she writes um, a book called Bird by Bird on how to learn how to become a better writer. And she writes, there's a whole chapter dedicated to the part of my French. And if there's children listening, You're please good. put it here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> she calls it your shitty first draft. Mm-hmm. And that's truly what it is. Like everything you put out, you have to know this is going to be terrible. And I'm not <laughs> expecting for it to be amazing the first go around. And I feel like when we give ourselves like the freedom and grace within that being like, hey, I'm throwing mud on the wall. I'm going to see see what sticks. And I think that there's beauty in that, but like in a tactile, like realistic form, I will, I will shoot, I will write, I will create, but then I will also fill that creative tank by reading literary fiction. I love independent films. I love documentaries. I love museums. I go to the beach and I walk and I write. And sometimes I just go into the backyard if I'm having a really stressful day And I just lay on the grass for maybe three minutes, a little bit of sun and deep breathing. And all of a sudden your mind opens in a different way than it did before. So yes, you know, it's just showing up. Yes, it's just writing, but it's also filling that creative cup in a way that you need to. That there's so much power in that shitty first draft because yeah. sometimes I'm like, wow, five pages later, I like this one sentence that created yes. <laughs> throwing everything else away. But this one sentence is gold. Yes, like it opens exactly. up this like paradise of just beautiful content. You're like, oh my God. So I totally feel you. Um, okay. So I, it's almost like I don't know where to begin because you teach so much amazing stuff. And especially I'm in this world and, you know, I was just on your site and watching all of your videos and I'm like, oh, there's so much beautiful content that who is your ideal person that you love to help? 
So Lori, this is kind of the foundation for everything I ever write, everything I ever shoot, everything I ever create, anything I make and post and share online. This goes back to something that I first learned when I decided to become a photographer. I needed to clearly define who I was marketing to because it's not enough. I implicitly understood that there was so much competition in any market, in the fitness market, photographer, creative market, period. There's so much competition and there's so much talent that if I didn't have a very clear idea of who I was marketing to, I was ultimately going to have lackluster results. And I was okay saying, I am not the photographer for everybody. I'm not the educator for everybody. I'm not even the social media strategist for everybody. So what I decided to do was create an ideal client profile. This person is uh, based on a series of 20 or 30 questions that I ask myself. And I also, I ask my students, I need people to understand the minutia of who they're attracting. And I know it might sound silly, but I give this person a name. I, I list where they live. I ask if they're single or married. Do they have children? How many, um, where did they last go on vacation? What's the most recent YouTube video they watch? What are they searching for on Google? What, how much money do they make? What do they do as a living? And all of a sudden, when you can put together this vision of a person you are uniquely qualified to serve, all of a sudden your marketing content becomes so honed. You know your message and you know ultimately who to attract and who to go after. So you and I had spoke er, um, earlier, and I think that we can spend four podcasts talking about an <laughs> ideal client, but I want to give you a little bit of insight. My ideal client, well, she's 30 years old. She lives in Manhattan Beach. She drives a white Range Rover. She has two sons under the age of five. Her husband is a lawyer. She's educated, but is a full-time stay-at-home mom wanting to pursue her own business. And what she does is create artisan soaps out of goat milk. She grew up in Ojai, California, where her father owned a goat farm. And there she harvested just lavender and flowers where she later learned to press them into her soap when she lived in a loft in downtown Los Angeles. There she met her husband. They moved to Manhattan Beach. And this is her first venture of being an entrepreneur nor on her own. She sells on Etsy. She sells at farmer's markets. And just recently she was approached by a buyer at Anthropology asking if she would be able to produce her soaps in large quantity to feature them in some stores around the U.S. So there is Elle and she's looking for somebody to guide her on the decision she should be making on Instagram and building a personal brand and on Facebook. Every time I put content out, it's for Elle. L is not a real person, but variations of L exist. And that's ultimately who I'm attracting. Mm, that's so powerful. And by the way, I really want to hang out with L. Right. Um, so why? <laughs> <laughs> and, and how powerful is that? Because every single thing that I make or every single post that I put, I'm like, would L like this? Absolutely. Would, you know, is she going to comment on this? Am I going to hit a button for her? Like, am I going to solve something for her? That's so, so what are my next questions when I'm creating content like that? Or what's the next step with that? Well, I think it's going to be important. So when I ask myself about Elle specifically, I will create content. So Elle is an entrepreneur and Elle is trying for herself to define who her ideal client is. And so I created a document, like a, a step-by-step checklist of how to create your ideal client profile. So I'm making content to help her along the way. And then her, another thing she might ask is, I've been hearing great things about marketing my new business on Facebook Live. How do I do a Facebook Live? Mm 
So I sit, you know, when I'm walking my dog or I'm thinking about how to brainstorm, I'm creating content that fills in the gaps for my ultimate customer's needs. Now, there are some people who are fitness professionals and they might say, okay, my, around the holiday season, my ideal client is struggling with that five pounds they gained in between Christmas and New Year. What am I going to do to speak directly to that? And so when you start putting yourself in the shoes of your, who you are marketing to, it all of a sudden becomes just so much easier to create that kind of content to ultimately attract the kind of customers you want and need. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's even, it's like, I think I think of these things, but when you have it just so clear cut for yourself to go through, of course, you're like, of course, that's how content will come is I'm always answering those questions. Not what do I, what do I feel like doing today? Absolutely. It's probably not going to be much. It's going to, you're going to see another picture of my coffee cup. So <laughs> not solving a problem. So how do you, do you ever feel like you run out and how do you go to that place in order to get something fresh? It's so crazy because, um, so, and it's fully understandable and I, there's, it's not coming from a place of judgment. I just know that there's a lot of self-starters, entrepreneur, business owners who have so much to do that the first thing they abdicate are the responsibilities for social media. But for me, I maintain and do all of my social media personally because yes, it's a great way to connect with my audience, but monitoring the conversations that people are having in the comment boxes are so powerful because people are asking for things without knowing that they're asking for things specifically. So a lot of times people will not say, Jasmine, how do I get more business? They might, but a lot of times the things that people will say, it's, it's so hard for me to be seen. Mm. It's so hard for me to make time. I wish... I could balance my home life. And all of a sudden, when you see these reoccurring patterns or people saying, I don't know how to have just one glass of wine, or I just don't know how to make time to work out. All of a sudden, when you are reading the comments, when you're in your community, the work just comes of itself. And so I noticed that like, I decided just to kind of do like a test on my Facebook page. I noticed that Facebook lives do extraordinarily well, but I always felt awkward just showing up online. Like, you know, it's going to be me, my mom and my husband watching me on Facebook live. And that's always, awkward, <laughs> you know, like, so I had to kind of make the decision. I'm like, it's time to get uncomfortable. It's time to do a social media test to see what the reach is. So if you show up and you, I'm speaking to myself in third person because like, it's like I'm my, my, I'm my own life coach or something. I like it. <laughs> if you show up every week for 25 minutes for eight weeks, what will be the result of that? And so all of a sudden I thought, okay, I can plan my first two episodes. I know immediately what I would talk about. And then I was like, I don't know what's going to happen after that. But the crazy thing was that when I showed up, so did all the questions. And when I showed up, so did the community. And next thing you know, it's like week by week, it just seems to really come out. And um, I have a deeper understanding. So people reached out to me on Facebook and said, Hey, Jasmine, there's, in there's this Instagram shadow ban. I feel like my hashtags are being um, blocked. And all of a sudden, I started doing research. And I said, this is my content, I'm going to do a ton of research. And I'm going to explain what this means for people using Instagram and how to actually have effective uses of hashtags. So again, if I wasn't really there, if I didn't make myself accessible, if I just didn't show up or listen to those negative voices in my head that said, you're not enough, you're dorky on camera, you don't know what you're talking about, then I would have missed so many opportunities. So yes, you feel you worry over and out of ideas, but the ideas come to you when you're actually in the mix of it. 
so powerful. And to know that you are serving, it's, it's such a beautiful moment of clarity to know that you're serving your community exactly the way that they want to be served by going and spending time doing that. So is there a set amount of time that you actually spend to go and just research um, your community or do you do it every day? Just make sure you have engagement every single day. What does your engagement process look like? So Lori, last week on Facebook Live, I posted um, what, what my marketing schedule looks like for the week. So if I had 10 hours a week, because somebody had asked me, Jasmine, if you had 10 hours a week to market your business, how would you break it down? And I'm extraordinarily, I mean, to my, it's my biggest asset, my biggest liability is I'm extraordinary type A. I'm very organized and I always have a plan because, and I think that this really stems from the fact that like, I realized how short life is. I realized how precious time was 10 years ago when I had to look my mom in the face and say, is this when I have to say goodbye? And ever since then, Lori, it is like I am hellbent on living the life that I am intended to. And I think that it's maximizing my time here. So 10 hours a week to spend on marketing is about 600 minutes. And so I divide that out by day. I spend 20 minutes every day commenting on Instagram, reading comments. I spend 20 minutes a day on my Facebook page, responding to comments, reading what's going on. I spend time, 20 minutes on a fa- in various Facebook groups that I think entrepreneurs are hanging out when I want to get a pulse on in the industry of what people need so I can serve them in a way they want to be served. I spend 20 minutes on hashtags. So about an hour a day, I'm just really in the community, understanding what people want. And then I spend 25 minutes researching just current trends in social media and the business world. This is me just, you know, surfing ink and um, other like business related articles and making sure that I'm spending 20 minutes to plan my Facebook live and 25 minutes to execute the Facebook live. And then I get the content from the Facebook live and spend 25 minutes turning that into a blog post. So it's searchable, um, on Google. Okay. That's, that's amazing because you know what? People are doing this anyway. So it's really scattered and then it just feels like wasted time. So if it was actually planned out, so is that in your calendar from a set time to a set time, or do you kind of know at this point that you can hold yourself accountable to it? So great question. I, every Sunday I lay out the week according to what big tasks need to be done on each day of the week. And then every morning I wake up and I denote the tasks that should be done and how much time I need for them. So for instance, we're having this conversation, but this morning I broke down, I need to leave exactly at eight seventeen to get to my cycle class. <laughs> then I had to come home. I allocated time for a shower and then I did some photo shoots and then I had to edit the photos and all of this are like, I'm literally breaking it down in like 15 minute increments. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's not for everyone, but in order for me to live the life that I want in order for me to spend time to have a 20 minute lunch with my husband and business partner in order for me to walk my dog for 20 minutes in order for me to make the green smoothie that I want to drink I need to allocate time and we always have these high aspirations but if we aren't really clear with our trajectory there's a good chance we're going to miss the mark so yes it is broken down by day and by time so I, I love that you just said that because I think what you know there's so much information out there obviously that anyone could be successful if they did it. So (laughs) that's the whole thing is I love hearing from people like you who are like 
so honest about you have to schedule it. And by the way, I left at 810 for my cycle class. <laughs> also planned in my dog walk, um, <laughs> which is already done. So it literally, it's like if you can be a master of your calendar and have somebody to help you look at those things, how long do they take? What is most important? Yeah. And I love hearing that it's just 20 minutes. How powerful is that? Like, you know, 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Anyone can do that. But I think what happens is we think, oh my God, it looks like this woman is spending two hours a day commenting back. So when you comment back, because I know how important engagement is, and this is something that I just get a little bit crazy with. So I would love your opinion on it. Do you just go in at night and just comment as much as you can for the amount of time that you have? Or do you do it in the morning and just, you know, let go of whatever things you don't get to? What does that look like for you? Really great. And so I try to understand when I'm going to post. Let's use Instagram, for example, since it's my favorite platform of choice right now. It's always ever evolving. Let me tell you. There was a time when it was Snapchat. There was a time when it was Twitter. But right now, uh, Instagram is kind of like my love child. And so for me, it's really important for me to understand when I'm going to be posting at what time. I don't like to post at the same time every day because with the algorithm, I want to make sure that I'm tapping into different audiences. And I need to understand where and how people are being um most engaged and with the type of content that I'm sharing. Now I like to spend after I post a photo, I like to spend the first 10 minutes immediately engaging back with the audience because this is purely speculation. I've noticed that there is um, higher engagement. Like it's favorable within the algorithm when it seems like you're responding to people in virtually real time. And that the algorithm measures engagement and relevancy within a certain time frame after you post. Now, we don't know what that number is. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 30 minutes. But I'm really paying close attention immediately after to make sure that I'm responding. And when I respond to people, I make sure that I use at least, I try my best to use at least four words, not one that's an emoji. So within the algorithm, when people are leaving you comments and it's a string of emojis, that's not weighted as much as somebody who leave actual words, but best yet, like the golden chalice would be a comment more than four words. Mm. And so in order for me to teach my audience how I want to engage with them. If somebody responds and leaves a comment with um, a series of emojis, I'll respond with something along the lines like, I love your use of emojis or your emoji game is on fleek or look at you. I'm teaching them how I want to be spoken to and letting them know that, hey, there's another person, a real person on the other side of this who cares what you have to say and let's have a conversation and maybe less with the emojis. Okay. Amazing. Okay. So talking about that, how do people feel, you know, like you said, there's so much saturation out there, but there are beautiful ways to stand out. So what are some of the things that you love to tell people in order to stand out and what do you do? I think it's really important to understand your audience because here's the thing. I can tell you what works for me and what works for X and what works for Y. And the reason those things work so well is because they know their audience. Like by and large, the general rule of thumb is on Instagram, don't post long posts. Not everybody's going to read them. But I happen to follow um, a yoga personality on Instagram and every single one of her posts are like 2000 words. There's like, I got like a 2200 character limit, I believe on Instagram or yeah, 2200 character count. And she will take all 2200 of them exactly again and again and again. And the crazy thing is, is that she knows her audience so well that that's how they prefer to be spoken to. So this goes back to your ideal client. I know Elle is a busy mom and she's a busy entrepreneur. So I've learned for my cadence is I try to post 
two short captions and then maybe a longer, a longish one. I'm not, I'm not one to post 2,200 characters, but something, so the about rough character count above the Instagram fold. So before somebody has to click on the read more, it's anywhere from 86 to 112 characters. So a lot of my time, a lot of the time I try to keep my posts within that frame so that people don't have to click more. So it gives them the opportunity to, Oh, this is easy engagement. I get it. Now, when I want them to read deeper, then that's when I need to hook them in the fur above the fold and then encourage them to really press on the read more for more of that. Again, this just is based on what my audience wants to know. So are you finding that there are certain photos that always work better for you? Yes. And unfortunately, they're all selfie photos, like photos that I'm in the photo. They work better. But here's the thing. I'm not an anomaly. By and large, we are social creatures and we are on social platforms. So people love getting a behind the scenes look at my workspace or what I'm wearing or if I'm going out on date night. And I it's like this weird balance of like a lot of negative things that people will say like, oh, she's so into herself. And I'm like, no, I'm running a business. And this right. is what people want to know more of. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, there's, yes, those do extraordinarily well. And then posts where I talk about my uh, raising, like my upbringing, how I was raised. I think those do extraordinarily well. Just um, a Mother's Day post. I wrote about how I grew up. It was like a rough and tumble neighborhood. And my mom really fought to raise children who didn't give themselves to the streets. And as a result, she raised really strong women and a gentleman and we're all highly driven and focused. And when I talked about that story, it resonated so much with people. And I think that that obviously was a a clear, a clear winner for the week. So for me, it's so funny. I mean, it's the same exact thing for me, like when I'm very authentic or when I tell a story, but sometimes I have these posts where I put them out and it's like my stomach just drops. I'm like, oh, dang. And typically that's my sign that it's going to be a really good post. Um, (laughs) How do you... how do you get that through to people? You know, cause it's sometimes it's challenging. I have so many people who say, how are you such an open book on social media? And it, you know, because those are the things that do the best, especially in my business. It, I guess it's business dependent, but are there tips for people of how to bring more of yourself into your business? Absolutely. So I'm going to break this down in two ways. And I, this is, and here's the best part, Laura, you and I could say this, but other people could be listening and think, oh, well that just works for Lori. Oh, oh, that just works for Jasmine. And I'm here to tell you with concrete fact that no, it works in general. So well, about twice a year, I host a seven day Instagram challenge where entrepreneurs come in and for seven days, we walk through how to get better engagement relevancy and start conversations with followers who ultimately turn into customers. And so I give assignments every day and it's really, really basic. I walk you through step-by-step what you should be saying, the type of photo, and intentionally I list one of the seven days as an introduction of yourself. And then I had this Facebook group and I said, Hey, of the seven days, which is the photo that did best? Mm. Over and over again, people are like, I'm shocked. It was my introduction. I'm so surprised. I can't believe people want this. I'm so uncomfortable in front of the camera. And I'm reading this and I'm like, I know. (laughs) This was planned. (laughs) This was planned, y'all. You're all making me look like I'm like the Wizard of the Wizard of Oz. But no, no, no. This is really, this really works because we're so interested in what other people are doing and how they're working. And another prompt was to show a picture of your workspace. And whoa, this was, it was a recoil from the audience. They're like, no, I don't, that's so personal. No, no, no. And I said, there's beauty in showing that there's a cat beneath your feet and you're on an iPad with stuffy socks and a cup of tea. There's beauty in that. People want to see the 
the, the simplicity and the grandeur. So knowing that, knowing that like, no, this is really true and people do want to see more of that is there's this a rule that I apply called the man on the airplane rule. I'm only comfortable sharing things on social media that I would share to somebody who was sitting next to me on an airplane. And so the minute that you say, like, you know, if somebody were to ask, if I were to sit down and he, I strike up a conversation, and he says, where do you live? I probably would tell him, oh, you live in Newport Beach, California. And oh, well, where are your family from? Blah, 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 blah. And we start talking about family. I would feel comfortable talking about my mom's illness and her remission. I would feel t- comfortable telling people I have a dog. I feel comfortable about certain things. And then the, that line of I just crossed from a stranger to know, somebody knowing too much about me, that becomes my litmus test, my barometer. And I felt like when I talk to people about this, they too can adhere to this. Now, what we're comfortable sharing to a stranger on an airplane varies with us. But having that, would I say this to somebody sitting next to me, is a really great and empowering way to say, okay, this is what I'm comfortable with. Mm, that's really awesome. So the the problem is, is sometimes when I drink too much on an airplane, it also <laughs> applies to when I drink too much on my social media. <laughs> it just crosses over. No, that that's really awesome. So what are, you were talking about turning followers into customers. And I know that, you know, maybe someone has this awesome social media platform. I've met so many women who have an incredible platform and they're, I'm like, you're so likable and you're actually not using it. So what is that? What does that look like? Some people don't even know where to begin. So when they come to you, do you have a strategy to begin? Well, I will say that the mo- most of the people who are coming to me aren't the people with these massive followings. Mm-hmm. Um, at, I mean, because the thing that most people really want on social media is to get a massive following because yes. that results in a higher likelihood of customers. So the people who are blessed with that and they don't have a product and they're not monetizing it, don't worry, that time will come because they obviously have hit something that resonates with an audience and they know naturally how to build trust. Now, the vast majority of people on social media want an audience. Now they have a product to sell, but the problem then becomes that all of their social media updates are buy my product. My product's great. My product comes in green. There's a product sale, product Christmas sale. And it's like, that is boring. Who, who tunes in to, um, Instagram channel, a television channel or a radio station just to hear commercials? Nobody. So we have to understand that in order to transfer somebody, a follower to a customer, our number one priority isn't to sell our product or service. Our number one priority is to build trust. Because when somebody trusts us, then that's when they want to buy a book. When somebody trusts us, then that's when they'll watch our Facebook Live. When somebody trusts us, that's when they'll opt into our newsletter. When somebody trusts us, when we sell them something on the newsletter, they will say, I think you're going to deliver on the thing that you want. I'm ready to press buy. That process is much longer than any one of us would like. But the more you show up and the more you build trust by providing valuable content, the better off you'll be and the faster they'll transition to customers. Oh, that's amazing. I, I have people ask me all the time, you know, it's funny. My sister actually asked me probably, well, she asked me all the time, but she doesn't want to do the, the, the stuff in between. It's like, how can I get this out? I want to do this. I want to be this coach. I want to I'm like, just, you have to just start making or having a following that you talk to that you enjoy. It's really just showing your life, right? Like what you were talking about, just creating this brand online. So how do you, how do you, I know you talk a lot about branding. What are some things that you think that we should know about branding yourself? This can, again, we, I mean, girlfriend, we should, we could have our own spinoff podcast for another <laughs> really four good, just for this. Absolutely. But I think the thing, if there was one thing that I can have 
um, us as listeners walk away with would be that a brand is an experience. A brand isn't a website and it's not your business card and it's not a podcast and it's not the car you drive. Now, those things might help your brand, which is like an image or an experience that somebody's having with you. But in totality, a brand is how somebody describes your business when you're not in the room. Mm. And we must do everything in our power to ensure that the experience that people are having with us, yes, on our website, yes, on social media, yes, on the videos and podcasts we're producing, that experience in culmination makes them feel a certain way. Because I could sit here from the mountaintop and say, I am X, I am X. But if what somebody feels is negativity, if somebody feels hope, if somebody feels like they I, that, that they can build trust me that with me that experience then becomes a definition of what my brand is so it's really important that everything that you and I and all of us are putting out really goes back to creating an experience and letting people know that we see them we hear them and we want to know them mm. so Jasmine what is a question that you wish more people would ask you You know, it's crazy because it's not a specific question, but the way that a question is asked. Mm. So often people come to me and they say, Jasmine, what do you think I should do about this? When I think a much harder question is, do you think this is a good idea? Mm. And so oftentimes we build this idea that this is the thing that we should be doing. And so you're not giving other people room to speak clearly and candidly into possible holes, whether or not there's market demand, whether or not that you as a person are capable or willing or able or built to service people in the way that you envision. And I feel like it's so important as entrepreneurs to really open ourselves for people in the early stages, especially to really poke holes at a new idea, not how do I make this better, but is this even a good idea to begin with? Mm, So good. So what are you most excited about right now? I'm working on a project, Laura, working on a project, but here's the thing, this, I swear to you, this is like maybe a week and a half. I mean, this is not, I mean, this is gestation. We're an infant, an infancy. We're like, just like mom and daddy came together to put something together. I don't know how it's going to work out. So I can't speak so clearly about it, but let me just tell you, we're in the ugly phase. We're in the first draft. We're in the, we don't know how this is going to work phase. But we're hellbent. It's like that free fall. Like, I think, honestly, I'm an entrepreneurial junkie. I live for the free fall. I live for the scrappy fight. I live for the bruisings. I live for the criticism because there's all this little tiny entrepreneurial, like, uh, chip on my shoulder. People say, I don't know if that's going to work. Watch me. I will make it work. We'll figure this out. So I think that we're in this, like, really awkward stage. And um, I hope that, you know, like, Goodness gracious, our goal is to get this thing off the ground in six weeks. And I hope in six weeks I can send you an email and be like, Lori, we did this thing. It is a hot mess and we're working through it, but we did it. So that's my goal. Oh, I love hearing that. And I, and I love hearing just the, the struggle of it because that's all of it, right? We'd be so bored without the challenge. There's like zero, no growth. You'd, you'd want to, you just, you wouldn't come back for more ever. So how do you stay passionate about this, about what you do? I think it's, it's environmental. And I, I don't want to harp on like emotional strings whatsoever, but my, my, my parents are immigrants. My father came to the U S and earned his citizenship by way of 
um, enlisting in the United States Marine Corps to fight in Vietnam. And they ended up meet my parents ended up meeting in East Los Angeles. My mom's from Puerto Rico. And I feel like it was all my whole life was just a struggle. I watched my parents lose their house twice. We didn't own a car. My mom would take all five kids on a bus to a library to show us like, the people we could be and the lives that we could live because what we saw was not that. And I think that when you live a life where you're shopping at thrift stores and people are donating and leaving Christmas gifts on your porch and, you know, grocery stores will give you free food because they know what that struggle is as a child and having these formative experiences. The thing that keeps me passionate is this ability to have seen and known a world that is so big and so limitless. And it is mine for the taking. It is ours for the taking. What do we want? What can we envision? And I can say, Lori, that I never dreamed that I had the capability of living the life that I am today. And the minute the scales fell from my eyes, I wake up every morning and I think, God, thank you for this. Everything that I have worked so hard for, and yet I don't know if I deserve, I'm thankful for it. So that's the thing that keeps me passionate, to know where I've come from, to see where I am, and hopefully empower others to pursue their life and passion the same way. Mm, that's so beautiful. And I feel similar. I come, I come from somewhat of a similar background, just with part of what you said. And I really, I feel like being able to tap into that is really powerful for me. And also just wanting to solve that for other people. Yes. Yeah. So do you have anything, do you have any, um, testimonials that have just rocked your world where you are just, you know, you're moved by what someone's been able to create? Oh, goodness. One just comes off the top of my head. I recently launched like a personal branding and social media course and um, it, it's new. It was new to the public. It was something that we had like put out and there's always that moment of wondering, will this work for other people? And I hate even admitting that, but that's a really honest thing. Yeah. Like the content that you pour your heart into, will it work? Right. Does it have feet? And it was during the first week, um, we had just launched it and we were about to close cart and I said, God, like, are we going to turn a corner? How is this going to turn out for us? And I walked to the beach with my husband and I remember standing in line for an acai bowl and I checked my email and there was a lady who had emailed me from Texas and she had said that her husband had been unemployed for two years. He had come back from a tour in Iraq and he had PTSD. They have four children. She has her own business and for the first time, she's been having to, had to been the sole breadwinner and they were at the brink of losing their home. And she said that just going to the first module, she said, this was the thing that I was missing, not the course itself, but having a clear vision of identifying who she's speaking to, what her brand stands for, how she describes her business. And all of a sudden, the realize that she was able to build a successful business, but it was built on sand instead of a strong foundation. She says, I'm rewiring my business for a foundation. And in this, in the process of the six weeks, her business has taken off and I'm blown away by it. So when I hear that there are people who see past that, and the lesson I learned was, Jasmine, it's not about you. It's not, will my course work? It's, are my students feeling feeling taken care of? If they feel like they're being taken care of, if they feel like they can have hope and a clear vision, they're going to kill it. And they are. So has there been a time when you've gotten feedback that you don't so much love, but has been something that has been, you know, possibly truthful for you that you've had to look at? How do you deal with feedback? I, well, my, I've been raised to believe my father breaks down um, feedback in from three circles, like your closest inner circle, mm -hmm. 
your secondary circle, which would be close industry peers, and then that tertiary circle, that, that the people on the outside, three rings away looking in. And oftentimes when somebody on my inner circle says something, I know without a shadow of a doubt, it is true. Like there's no, there, there's no second guessing. These people know me so well. Now, secondary, I, secondary circle, I listen to what they're saying and I take a step back and I really assess it and I weigh it. Now, third circle, I'm sorry. I just, I ain't got time. I ain't got time to listen to the negative people leaving comments about, you know, who I am, my voice, the shape of my face, how much I weigh. I don't have time for that. Like, goodbye. Like, sorry, I'm doing my thing. I will say, though, that when a lot of people are saying things that are recurring, it really, so for instance, I released a video series. So it was like a four-part video series on how to really uh, use social media to grow your business. And a lot of like the negative comments were like, she looks so fake on camera. She looks so fake. Or who does she think she is? And I had to take a step back and I said, okay, these people are clearly not my audience, but there was something that's resonating with them on a deep level that makes me feel insincere. And the minute that I took a step back and I said, okay, I'm not comfortable like putting on this totally professional, hello, my name is Jasmine Starr and welcome to my video series. You know, I realized that the videos that I produced thereafter had to be a little bit more free flowing had to be like, hey guys, like it's not perfect. I don't have a script, but I know what I'm talking about, so let's go. And I felt like that criticism, even though I didn't really care for it, really did give insight into the undercurrent that I felt about watching my own videos. It was like, wow, Jasmine, this just looks a little too polished, a little too perfect. Can you go back, let your hair down, have some fun? And that to me was also a benefit. Oh, I love that you just shared that because there's so, there's so much power in that feedback sometimes as much as it's like, you know, I, I do, um, like a big women's event every single year and we send out a survey monkey afterward. And it's like, it's so hard because your heart yeah. and soul is like yeah. in this. So I can't read them right away, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, give me a week because I'm just, I cannot. Yeah. Um, but after that, it's like, if I see something reoccurring, I'm like, Oh, this is so painful. But yes, like there's almost like this deep inner knowing that you almost kind of knew that as well. And it's just funny that they're feeling everything that you are feeling it, like everything is coming across. So it's almost when we feel it, if we're feeling it, you can guarantee somebody is feeling it, which is also really powerful feedback for us, right? It's like if we're creating something, we're like, "Mm, maybe that didn't feel right. You're like, maybe we should think about it. (laughs) Absolutely. It's the inner voice that becomes stronger over time. The more you, again, this goes back to how we started the conversation, the more you show up the better you are acutely aware of hearing your inner voice, what's going on and the narrative that you're telling. Because the thing about social media is that it can be micro analyzed from so many different perspectives Mm. that if you aren't a hundred percent yourself, people will call you for it immediately. Mm. So what are some things that you do, um, you know, just even energetically to really protect yourself? Because I feel like, you know, people feel like they know you, people probably feel like you're such a huge part of their life, but yet it's so important for you to make sure that you maintain a certain level of energy yourself and really make sure you're taking care of yourself. So what do you do to create those boundaries and also, um, do self-care? I'm, if you have, if you can't tell Lori, I'm, I run a tight ship over here. So I wake up, I'm an early riser. So I wake up between 4.30 and 4.45 every morning. It's, I don't set an alarm. It's just the time that I wake up and I know it's ridiculous. It drives my husband crazy, but I mean, I is who I is. So, um, I, but I usually use those like dark morning hours for prayer, for meditation. I take a hot bath. I read, 
I journal, and that takes me about 25 minutes. And that becomes the foundation of my day to really get my mind, my heart, my soul ready. I practice yoga every day in addition to whatever other workout that I can get in. I go to an acupuncturist every other week and a chiropractor every other week. And I have to understand that there must be parameters with social media because the phone is always in our hand. There's just like this, like a knowing of just like, I'm popping in my phone, I'm popping in my phone. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, when you went down that Facebook vortex, you're like, what did I do with my life? Like I've seen cat videos for 30 minutes. So I think it's really important for me to like articulate at what time am I letting that energy into my life? And the, the greatest self-care, the greatest protection is I, like itemizing, this is how long I'm going to be here. This is when I'm going. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to be strategic. And I think that has been the, the, the biggest learning for me in the past couple of years is setting up my parameters when it comes to being online and what that means for my business. That's so helpful to know. And I, I've started doing that pretty recently. Well, this last year, I've just really watched like the phone doesn't come with me on this walk or the phone, is yes. not, you know, it's staying downstairs, yes. time, things like that. But do you find so if you're doing a challenge or something like that, like I just feel like I am crazy. Like I just feel sucked in because it's nonstop. You know, it's, there's just so much social media during a challenge or yes. during a launch. What do you do around then? Do you just commit yourself? You're like, I'm in it. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, you have to be real. Like yeah. when you are doing something so big and your, your, your aim is to reach and touch and help as many people as possible that shifts. But as a result of that, I really, during that I'm eating really well, I'm sleeping, I'm making sure that I'm prioritizing the stuff that's going to get me through the long haul. And then after finishing such like a big venture, I make sure and I check out for like two or three days, like no computer, no phone. I really depend on, we don't have a big team. We have two people on our team. And then I just reached out to them. I said, it is all hands on deck. Let me take off two days. And when I come back in the two days, you get three days. Mm-hmm. So it's all about like just, um, making sure that the, uh, that the community is taken care of, but taking care of ourselves first. If we don't take care of ourselves, then we can't go very far. Mm-hmm. Amen. So tell me about some of your programs. So I have, I mean, it's very simple. I've really, really been in this entrepreneur market distinctly for about a year. And so the two programs that I've created within that time is an Instagram for business and it's called Insta 180. We want your Instagram account to do 180 degree difference. And it goes into really practical, like just really practical practices that you could be applying to Instagram on a daily basis to understand that you're just not there for kicks and giggles. You're using it to grow your business with strategy. And then the second program is called the path to profitability. This is, would be the, the next level entrepreneur, somebody who has a business and really needs to go through and lay the foundation, understand what your brand is, what it means, what it does. How are you going to market that brand, creating systems within your business to promote your business to the next level? Because only then will social media be really effective. You you can't have really effective social media and pointing back to a broken business because it's just not going to go anywhere. So we start from the outside. We start from backwards, right? Where do people end up on the purchase page? From there, then we build out a really strong path to profitability. Mm, amazing. Okay, so I want to make sure that everyone can find you, follow you. I know that you said Instagram is like your love child right now, and I feel you. I'm like the same way. So this was an exciting conversation for me, and I really want to go look at your program. So (laughs) with that said, I want to make sure everyone can find and follow you. So where are we going to go? You can follow me on Instagram and all social media at Jasmine Star, and you can find me at jasminestar.com. And also, Lori, I should let, let, I want to let listeners know that I am, um, as being a photographer, I am giving away five free stock photos for 
anybody who wants them, because I know that kind of jumpstarting your Instagram, if you haven't been very active on it, you feel like you don't have anything to post, if you go to jasminestar.com forward slash free stock photos, all one word, you'll be able to get five free stock photos that you can use on Instagram today. I love that. That's so awesome. And I just want to acknowledge you for what you do because I really, you know, there's so much out there, but I love how you do it in such a clear, beautiful, um, easily digestible way. And that's just one of the most amazing things I think in the world of just like over saturation. So thank you for being you and for being so real and authentic. And I so appreciate you. Well, Lori, that comes, that means very much coming from you because I could as easily said the exact same words about you. So thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you. And I always end on one last question. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So you are on a quick elevator ride with someone. It's only like 30 seconds and it's a total stranger and they look over at you and they say, how can I make myself happy? What do you say? Tell five of the most important people that you love them. Give until you can't give anymore and wake up every day and say, count at least five things that you're grateful for. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. And you guys, if you loved this episode as much as I did, make sure you share it with your friends. And until next time, earn your happy. Bye, everyone. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Earn Your Happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. If you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would love it, that would be absolutely amazing and we would be forever grateful. Also, please leave us a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving us an honest thought, an honest comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye.